Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Jill Klein Mathiasen who's the vintner of Matthiasen Wines here in the Napa Valley. And we are at your winery right now. Jill, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Michelle. This is really going to be a fascinating show because you are a pretty fascinating woman. Let's jump in to talk about your career. First of all, you are a... Woman with a degree in botany That's <laughs> from <right>. Penn. <laughs> you went off to Israel to research ancient farming. Mm-hmm. And then you did grad school at UC Davis. Did you always think that you were going to work in the wine business? No. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think my, you were going to be? <laughs> um, I mean, I, you know, kind of didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I still kind of am figuring that out a little bit. But, um, you know, there's a lot of passions that I have. And I really wasn't exposed to wine a lot uh, when I was young. I grew up in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has very strict wine regulations and wine's not really part of the culture there and was certainly not part of the culture, you know, of my family and my family's friends or anything. So I wasn't at all exposed to wine and it was really not in my world that that was a career path. So when you got all your education, what was your first job, your first full-time job? My first full-time job and I, where I worked for almost 10 years was um, in the nonprofit world. I worked uh, for a nonprofit, a family farmer nonprofit um, that uh, helped farmers improve their ability to direct market their products through value added and like community supported agriculture kind of farm boxes. And also what I worked a lot on was um, traveling around the state of California, educating farmers about reducing pesticide use in their farming practices. So how did you get the wine bug? Steve and I started dating. <laughs> my husband, Steve. You met at UC Davis. At UC Davis. He was, I was actually already working for the nonprofit and he was a graduate student and he would bring grapes home from the student vineyard and we would make wine in our backyard, in our garage. And we started visiting Napa. We started just exploring wine together. Um, and he didn't have very much background or experience with wine either. So it was very, it was really something we could discover together and learn about together. And Steve was already, once he got finished school and got a job, he started working in vineyards as well as, um, orchards, walnut orchards and fruit and almond orchards and peaches and then eventually got um, the job in Napa um, working full-time focusing on grapes. He got the wine bug after he moved here. Yeah well we were starting we had already by the time we moved to Napa had been doing a lot of Tasting. Um, tasting and then backyard <laughs> winemaking. Well, that's so true. So when he was a student at Davis, he started bringing grapes home from the student vineyard and we started making wine. And then um, 
we were getting grapes from, you know, some other sources and, and doing a lot of home winemaking. So you've spent many, many years devoted to sustainable agriculture and the local food movement. And why is that so important? We see the effects of climate change that is, you know, human caused, you know, on a daily basis here. I mean, you know, we're suffering from this incredible drought. We had a bunch of rain in October and November, December, but we haven't had a drop of rain here since the beginning of the year. And, you know, I saw, I saw a lot of that starting to happen when I was young and really became kind of a lifelong environmentalist. And I felt like people though couldn't really connect with environmental issues. They seemed kind of abstract from everybody's day-to-day life. Like how could people have an impact in their day-to-day life? And everybody eats, everybody buys food from the grocery store. And so I thought, well, through your day-to-day choices in food, if you buy organic food, if you buy food that's sustainably grown, that that would have a positive impact on the environment compared to buying conventionally grown food. Um, That could be a choice that you incorporate into your daily life. So that's how the connection to agriculture was made for me. And so you've applied those practices here at Mathiasen. Yeah, well, we, you know, I worked for almost 10 years with other farmers, um, encouraging them to implement those kinds of practices on their farms. And then when we got our own vineyard and had our own farm, it was really exciting to be able to actually implement a lot of the stuff that I tried to get other farmers to, to do. Um, we bought a vineyard property in 2006 in Napa, and um, we planted hedgerows along the edges. Um, I had worked with other farmers to figure out getting grants, so we, I was able to figure out how to get grants to do that for our property. We have bird boxes, bee boxes, owl boxes, um, raptor perches, lots of different things we do to try to keep our farm as diverse as possible. And what do all those boxes do? Well... We have a lot of pests, and they help manage the pests. The uh, owls and the raptors eat the um, gophers and the voles that eat the grapevines. The bluebird boxes um, that we have, the bluebirds eat lots of pests, insects, pests that eat the grapevines. Um, so you want to have as diverse of a system as possible. The other part of that is building the soil, adding compost and cover crops, and increasing the biodiversity of the soil. So in 2003, you you started Mathiasen Wines. What did you want the business to be, you and your husband? We are not planners, <laughs> I have to tell you. We had no idea. I mean, really. You, what, you just winged it, right? We just winged it like we do on a daily basis. <laughs> um, we winged it and thought, you know, this would be a nice kind of hobby and we can start this business and, you know, see what happens. I, at that time, my kids were young and it was allowed me to give up my working, you know, for the nonprofit so I could focus on a family business and have a lot more flexibility with my time and my schedule. And, um, Steve still had his day job consulting in vineyards and we worked really hard to grow it, but we saw early on that it was really difficult and we just kept working and it just kept 
you know, eventually grew to be what it is today, but it, it took a long time. Um, and we're still sort of like, oh, every time we kind of come up with a plan and think we know it's going to be in for the next few years, then something happens that changes everything, like the earthquake that happened that we got impacted by, the fires in 17, the fires in 20, COVID. So I'm like, what's the point in planning? <laughs> it never goes as planned anyways. Uh, this way you can just be spontaneous and come up with a quick answer or solution, right? <laughs> yeah. You are farmers first, mm-hmm. I would say, right? But in regards to Matthias and wines, you really run the business side of the wine business, right? Yeah, I do. So what does your day-to-day look like? Every day is a bit different, different <laughs> right? Um, but it's everything from sales and marketing, which is a big part of it. We do lots of email campaigns, email um, out to the world about our mailing out to our mailing list about what we're doing. We just sent an email about pruning, so it took a lot of developing that email, um, reviewing the email. Um, back and forth with our our marketing person um we're working now on a really fun project that i just finalized and signed off on and sent off um right before we started this interview but we we produce vermouth and it's very popular i know a sweet vermouth vermouth and people are super (laughs) excited about it but it's really hard for people to understand how it's made. We make it in a unique way. You and do. whenever we explain it to our customers, we always end up kind of getting this glazed look over, like, I don't really know what you're talking about. And so I saw something that came across, you know, that um, my email that explained a process for making something. And I was like, that's so smart. Like, we should do that for our vermouth. And we worked with a graphic designer who we and developed a a new kind of graphic piece of I don't know art I guess to explain how our, our vermouth is made Super. and there were lots of back and forth and like how to best do it and it was really tricky and I felt like she did a really good job of distilling it into like a small like graphic form that we can use for social media and we're going to actually make coasters out of the graphic design which is going to be super fun as something to go with the vermouth and so as soon as I get the final artwork from her I'm going to order the coasters and that's super exciting another thing for example that I did today we make jams for our wine club it's an add-on if you um, are part of our wine club, Who knew? and we grow the great, we grow the sorry, we grow the fruit um, yes. and make the jams, and then a big thing is shipping the jams to all of our wine club members. Okay. Well, tell year. us what kind of jams. Well, the jams change every year. Mm-hmm. A lot of different kind of peach jams. We have different varieties of peaches. We grow pluots, plums, nectarines, figs, lemons. Um, yeah, we, we have to tempt our listeners. Oh yeah, no, and they're kind of, we're kind of known for them and they're very well received and they're really delicious. And then there's like mundane things like the box that you ship it in and the packaging oh, right. for the box. And I had to like order more supplies for that. And I had to dig out the order from five years ago and like resend it off and order more. So that was kind of a feat cause I couldn't find it and I finally found it today, but there's little things like that, that I am involved in. And and those are fun because those are sort of like people love it. Um, yeah. So that's kind of. Right. It's not numbers. <laughs> right. But uh, then there's a lot of numbers. So every yeah. day is different. But, you know, people often 
want to come and work for us and uh, they all want to work in the cellar and a few people want to work in the vineyard. But, you know, it's it, one of the most important parts of the industry is something I think it's not as sexy and fun, but it's the, really the engine that keeps keeps us going is all of the um, kind of administrative parts. So that's my job and it's fun because we still get to eat lots of good food and drink lots of good wine and meet lots of interesting people in the process. I have to ask, why did you start a sweet vermouth? Um, it is kind of unusual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a funny story. We we're going to make a vermouth even before we started in the wine business. Steve was at the um, library at UC Davis in the ag- agricultural library and found a book of vermouth recipes like over a hundred vermouth recipes and was kind of had this idea that, you know, you, most of the vermouths that are on the market mm-hmm. are not really craft produced. They're kind of more like um, mainstream Campari, things like that, that are just like, they're a blend of a lot of ingredients, but you can't taste the individual ingredients. It's more like Coca-Cola. It has a very distinct taste, but um, there wasn't anything after reading all these different recipes the world of vermouth kind of opened up to us and we were like, we realized there's no organic vermouth. There's no um, vermouth made from very specific um, items. And we decided to try to make some and we were about to pull the trigger and go forward with it. And then we kind of had this revelation that we have no idea what we were doing. (laughs) We didn't realize even all the stuff we didn't know that it's an, it's an alcoholic beverage and you need all kinds of licensing to do that. So it's kind of good that we pulled the trigger when we did. Um, And then years later, probably 10 years later, um, we were making this base, this wine out of a really unusual variety called Flora. And um, a friend who worked for us uh, as an intern came by and tasted it in the barrel. And he was a sommelier. And he said, oh, my God, this be a, this wine would be a great base for a vermouth. And the light bulb went off and Steve's head. And he said, oh, finally, we can get back to that idea of making a vermouth. And it was a sweet wine that we were making. So it made sense to make a sweet vermouth. And people sweet. love it. And it's great in cocktails. Um, and it's also I, my favorite way of drinking it is I'll, I'll, actually with like a um, sparkling water, just a spritz. Well, because part of it's made with Gewurztraminer, right? Um, No, it's a variety called Flora. And Flora is a cross between um, Semillon and Gewurztraminer that was bred in the 50s Ah, at UC Davis. Okay. That explains where I got that information. (laughs) Fascinating. Well, I'm so intrigued by it, for sure. So I, I kind of have to ask this question, and it's kind of risky of me. What are your thoughts about the craze that's out there about natural wine? Um, that is that is a risky question. I know. <laughs> I know. I hope you still like me after this. <laughs> um, you know, I am of the belief that there are lots of different kinds of wines out there in the world. And there are a lot of wines that, and a lot of different wine drinkers out there in the world, and everybody should find the wines that they like to drink. And there's a lot of styles that I like to drink, and there's a lot of styles that I don't care for. And it's not up to me to tell people what they should or shouldn't like, or they should and shouldn't drink. And if there's natural wine that you love and you're passionate about drinking, Go for it. But isn't every wine a natural wine? Well, there's things that people consider (laughs) as part of the natural wine process where a lot of 
natural wine comes from a reaction to a lot of commercially produced wines that are in like huge volumes that have a lot of additives added to them. The grapes aren't grown organically. Preservatives. A lot of preservatives or other flavor enhancing additives. Um, And I think a lot of people didn't realize so much was being added to the wines that they didn't know about because there's no requirement for ingredients on the wine label. And so finally you find this wine that you really like drinking and you come to learn that it's full of all these ingredients that you normally wouldn't want to consume. And so then there's this idea, well, if we have, how do we know what the ingredients are? And that people kind of self-describe them as natural winemakers. And they say, the only thing we add to the, that's in this wine are grapes. There's nothing else added. And so there's more transparency in that, in that, but then, you know, there's no legal definition for natural wine. There's no third party verification that what the producers are saying is actually true. So we don't really know. And there are people who aren't honest in this world and you might be getting a product that was produced in a way that isn't what you think it is. Um, and that's up to you and on you as an individual to get to know the producer. It's the same with farming. It's the same with buying vegetables. If you go to the farmer's market and you get to um, know the, the farmers that are growing your fruits and vegetables and you can ask them what they do in their farms, you can go visit them. You can have that direct experience. It's harder with wine because it's grown in a place that might be farther away, but you can look on their website, you can email them, you can communicate with the farmers and find out what they're doing and and how they're making the wine. So there is still the ability to get that information. Um, If you care enough about it, you can find out about any product that you consume. Um, And I think that... um, you know, it's it, we try to be as transparent with what we're doing as possible, uh, and people people care about that. And we farm all of our own our own grapes. We're all certified organic on our farming practices. We use as little intervention in the winemaking as possible. Sometimes the wine starts to go bad, and we have to save it. We're also feel like that's financially sustainable model for us. And also, you spend all this. Um, energy and time and money and resources um, growing the grapes that if it's not a good sustainable practice to let the wine go bad so that's our our perspective everybody has their own approach and really we just do what we do and want to find the people who enjoy the process that we go through and the wines that we make well and you also make wines that are relatively low in alcohol, mm-hmm. which is unique to the Napa Valley and says a lot for your brand and kind of sets you apart. Yeah, we, we are not the type that um, kind of does what everybody else does on a, on a lot of different things in life. Both Steve and I have that in common, which is good. Uh, and we're not making those wines just because they're different, but we're making lower alcohol wines because that's truly what we want to drink on a daily basis. Um, we like to drink wine every night with dinner. We work very hard. So, you know, we want to make sure that glass or two that we have doesn't give us a hangover and that we're able to get up the next day. And also we think that you can taste the flavors better. There's different flavors that you get out of those um, wines when the grapes are picked earlier and they have lower alcohol. Those are flavors that we think go better with food. Um, And we are always drinking wine with food. So it's, it's 
also kind of a added you know, benefit. Yeah. Yeah. You make so many fantastic wines here, but what do you think other than the sweet vermouth, what do you think the hidden gem is in your portfolio? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I love all the wines. You know, we we make the whole range from really familiar varieties like Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay to really unusual esoteric varieties that no one's ever heard of like Schiopatino and Rafosco and Robola Gialla and everything in between. Sometimes we make Zinfandel. We um, have a white wine or a blend that has Robola Gialla in it and Sauvignon Blanc. So, you know, we do a little bit of everything. And I always say we have something for everyone. Some people like really exploring the unusual varieties that we make and some people are, want the more safe varieties. But, um, you know, we have a wine club, which I love because we... Steve and I both like to explore different wines from around the world and different varieties. And our wine club is kind of an opportunity to take people on that journey with us. And we're always making wines from different varieties that we have access to. Um, but then we're always making Cabernet and Chardonnay too. So it's a little bit of everything. And I, I kind of say it's like um, a farm box. If you get a weekly farm box, um, you know, you get things in the farm box that you're not familiar with. If you go to the grocery store, you buy vegetables that you're familiar with, how to cook, broccoli, zucchini, tomatoes, maybe some potatoes, and you kind of cook the same things with those all the time. You know, you get in a little bit of a rut. And if you go to a wine shop, you're going to usually pick the varieties that you're familiar with, Merlot, Cabernet, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc. Um, but if you get our fa a farm box from a farmer every week, you're going to get vegetables in there that you would never buy, that you're not familiar with, and you're going to have to look up a recipe and learn how to cook with them. And there's things like rutabaga or kohlrabi. Maybe you've never even heard of them or seen them or anything, but they're delicious vegetables. And that's kind of what our, our wine club is like. You know, you'll get um, Pinot Meunier or Lagrine or Schiopatino. And those are kind of like the kohlrabi and... Um, rutabaga of the of the wine world you know the equivalent <laughs> so you know and it's always fun and it's always different and it's not what you're never necessarily going to go out and buy on your own and that's what makes matthias in so special yeah last question on your career top moment so far oh my gosh in my career yes wow <laughs> you know i'm i have to say i am always so proud of you know the recognition that we've gotten i think you know, the James Beard um, finalist, you know, several times. Yeah. Um, our wines never really are the type of wines that get big scores from wine reviewers. Um, but the James Beard Award is a restaurant. We always is a restaurant industry award. We see our wines as food wines and um, our wines are sold in a lot of farm to table restaurants. And the fact that the restaurant industry recognized us for our place in the restaurant world, um, along and, and it's a huge category. It, the category includes beer, cider, spirits, and wine. And we were in that, you know, one of the five finalists of all the winemakers in the whole country, all the beer, spirits, and cider producers. That's a very big honor. And that was and going to the awards in Chicago. I mean, it was just amazing. Well, well-deserved, for sure. Now you just need to win that. Yeah. They need well, to get that. They removed the category. <laughs> oh, well, boo. I know. So, I don't know. I feel Shame like, on them. <laughs> I feel like we, we went out 
just you know being winners nominated. being nominated. And exactly. I think you were nominated six times. Yeah, Some, yeah, yeah. So that was really fun. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, Jill, let's talk about your personal life now. Okay. You guys made the conscious effort to move here to the town of Napa. Why Napa? You could have lived in Yountville or Sonoma or somewhere else. What was it about Napa that drew you here? Um, we, so we've got a job here, and we had young children and we're starting to look at schools and different communities and we just saw Napa as having a lot of potential. Okay. Yeah. If we took a step inside your home, what would we see? What's, what's your decorating style? <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I would say eclectic and uh, a little chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how my mind works. And it's just in, you get a look inside my mind if you come into my house because it's always a little chaos there. But, you know, a lot of earthiness and um, we have a beautiful home, I have to say, and, you know, big windows where you can see out into our um, backyard and our vineyard that is on our, you know, where our house is surrounded by. So we like a lot of those natural elements in our world. I was thinking about living in the city when I was in college and looking out the window and the view never changed. Um, it was always just buildings and those buildings never looked different, you know, any time of year. And it's the, I look out my window every day and Every day it looks different because it's a, this, as the seasons evolve and now the grapes are starting to push and, you know, it, before we know it, you know, they'll be uh, all green. The, vi- the vineyards will be all green and it's just so much pleasure for me to see that on a daily basis. Absolutely. Do you have a hobby? Do you collect anything? I don't collect things. Do you have time? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we love to garden and I love to process. You know, when you have a big garden, everything comes ripe at the same time. You have to process stuff from the garden. So I'm always freezing and canning and we grow beans or so shelling beans. And um, yeah, that's one of my hobbies. Is there something people might be surprised to learn about you? Hmm, I don't know. Do you rappel down <laughs> mountains? Uh I don't know. Do, do you skydive? <laughs> I don't, I, none of that, you know, super crazy stuff. The one thing during COVID that Steve and I really started doing a lot of living in Northern California for so long, but, you know, having kids most of the time and doing all of our working weekends or taking kids to their sports events, we didn't really get as much of a chance to explore as we had wanted. And when COVID hit and our kids were both out of the house, we had the chance to do a lot of exploring outdoors and we love hiking. And so we've tried to keep that as much as possible that, um, you know, just explore new areas kind of in a hour radius drive around Napa. And we've really discovered some amazing places that were so close that we didn't know it existed. And we're doing these incredible hikes. We hike, uh, you know, nearly 10 miles uh, on a Sunday and it's helpful for, you know, mental health and, um, you know, our love of nature. And, and so that's been kind of our newest practice. I don't know if that would surprise anybody who knew us that well, but <laughs> it so makes great. Sense. Is there one hiking spot that you can share? Well, in Napa, we're lucky enough to have some really great 
spots um, and you know when we don't have as much time we can easily get to Skyline Park right. which is really a treasure that we have here um, and there's a new hiking area called Moore Creek which is um, also you know just beautiful there's um, the Oat Hill Mine t- Trail up in Calistoga uh, and both a both a state park, and we like to support all those places. And okay, like the, yeah. When you kick back and relax, what kind of music do you like to put on? I like the kind of um, singer songwriter. You know, name a few artists. Oh, now I like Randy Carlisle, and who else am I listening to right now? I just had we just started a new like thing, and I was like, oh, I really like that. There was uh, um, uh, it was like the son of Ali Fakatore's uh, um, from um, Africa. Uh, I forget his name exactly, but anyway, that's who came to mind immediately. <laughs> it was a really good little album that I discovered yesterday. Well, we are going to wrap things up with five quick questions. Okay. So you ready? Yep. Okay. What kind of car do you drive? I drive a Prius. Okay. What's your favorite flower? Oh, my favorite flower. Oh, I just poppy pop to mind. Okay. <laughs> um, who is one of your favorite actors? I was watching Downton Abbey recently. I never watched it before. And Maggie Smith, oh. who's plays the grandmother yes just cracked me up all the she time she is pretty funny <laughs> okay if you are what you eat what would you be oh an eggplant <laughs> there you go <laughs> what's one thing on your bucket list oh um let's see one thing on my bucket list i've got a lot um but you know i really want to travel and i really want to be able to kind of live in other areas for a more extended time than just kind of go on a vacation. Okay, well, name one area. Um, New Zealand. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Jill, so much fun to hang out with you today. Great Thank to you. out with you. Thank you so much. Visit WineCountryWomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.